Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decolator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts. Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a veteran of 10 different Major League Baseball teams. He is best known for his years with the Los Angeles Dodgers. During an 18-year baseball career, he batted 294, 153 home runs, 2,121 hits, 1,052 runs batted in. He is also one of the most proficient pinch hitters in the baseball history with a 320 batting average, 63 for 197. Uh, the highest in Major League history upon his retirement. He's a three-time All-Star, was a back-to-back NL batting champ, a World Series champ. Uh, that resume would probably make him higher paid than uh, Robinson Cano for sure today. It's a pleasure to welcome one of the great players of the 60s and 70s, Tommy Davis. Welcome, Tommy. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Now, you attended Boys High in Brooklyn. You played basketball there, and there was a pretty good teammate in a future basketball yeah. Hall of Famer named Lenny Wilkins. Could you tell back then that Lenny would be a special basketball player? Oh, yeah. Well, we, we uh, played against each other uh, in uh, separate churches. So I knew Lenny uh, way back, you know, before he got to be a, before he left Boys High. And he was always a good basketball player. I kind of talked him into uh, to coming to on the on the team because at the time he had to work because he uh, you know he had to support his family. His, you know he didn't have a father, so uh, but I got him out for the last year and and uh, he helped us quite a bit. In your one on one games, how did you do against him? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> how good was your basketball game, by the way? Well, I made all city in 1956, first five. Wow. Oh, you didn't know that, did you? I no. did not know that. Wow, I knew you were a good basketball player. I did not know all city. And and, and that's and when basketball was king in, in the city as well. So so the obvious question is, uh, what made you choose baseball over basketball? Because I, I didn't have a nice outside shot, and, uh, and I played quite a bit of baseball. And, and Lenny and I were both going to go to Providence, and, but uh, and I played mostly forward in, in high school, so I knew I couldn't play forward in college, so I, I decided to play baseball. But you know, I played a lot of baseball also when I was young. Now Tyson Chandler has gotten away with many years not having an outside, outside shot, shot. So I don't yeah, know. That's seven one. That yeah, seven one. That's true. There. Now I remember reading uh, an article by the great L.A. Times reporter Don Hernandez, and it was surprising to me that in 1956 you were considering signing with the New York Yankees, but you got a phone call that convinced you to sign with the Brooklyn Dodgers instead. Who was that phone call from, and what did he say to convince you to sign with the Dodgers? Well, it happened, uh, this is the way it happened. Uh, there were several teams that came up to me at that particular time, and there was no draft. They just came up and just talked to you. And, and at that particular time, if you got anything over $4,000 to sign, that was that would be considered uh, a bonus, and you couldn't play. You had to go directly to the major league. So that was sort of a deterrent, I did, but that's the truth. So... I, Phillies, Cleveland, Cincinnati, um, the Dodgers, and the, and the Yankees uh, approached me. And what the Yankees did that was different is what I could go and work out with the when the team was in town at home. I can work out work out with them before the game, 
and uh, and you know I'm working out with the likes of uh, Mickey Mantle and Yogi Berra, Elson Howard, Whitey Ford, and I love Moose Gowan. And uh, and so you know that's overwhelming for a young fella. <laughs> you think? And <laughs> oh, at the time I said, well, I think I was just you know, I didn't want it. I wanted to sign with the Dodgers, but uh, and the Dodgers, uh, the Yankees gave me so much attention. I said, well. I guess the Yankees want me too, so I might go on and sign with them. I was going to sign with them on a Tuesday. Meanwhile, Al Campanis, as you well know, used to be the general manager. He was the head scout at the time. Would come over periodically just to show my parents that the Dodgers were interested. So, uh, you know, I didn't know what was going on, but he found out I was going to sign on a Tuesday night. So Sunday afternoon, he had Jackie Robinson call my house. And... uh I was so surprised and didn't realize it was him. I thought it was some of my friends pulling a crank on me. It's a joke or something, you know. But it's, you know, he had a high-pitched voice. And uh, so I kind of recognized him. And after a while, this is Jackie Robinson. I told my mother, uh, this is Jackie Robinson on the phone. She said, who? I said, this is Jackie Robinson. Well, I didn't know what the heck he was telling me about, but it didn't make any difference because I signed Tuesday afternoon with the Dodgers. <laughs> uh, how old were you at that time? And you, you get this call from Jackie Robinson. It's just incredible. At uh, 17. 17 years old. Wow. Wow. Now, you make your way through the Dodgers system, and in your minor league career, you win batting titles in the Midwest League, the Pacific Coast League. We hear so much about the Dodger way back in that era. What is the Dodger way, and what made their system so special? What did it teach you more than any other organization you know, in baseball at that time? Well, uh, the importance of the little things, you know, running, you know, and uh, hitting behind the runner, hitting runs and getting, getting one run. And, uh, you know, the little things like that, hitting, hitting the ball to the opposite field when you need a fly ball. Um, hit and runs, and, and I mean, and then defense, you know, keep the ball in front of you, you know, you don't have to be the best defensive player, but do the right things when you're playing in the field. And uh, it's just, little, everybody does the same thing, but it's the way they teach it, you know, it's different. And so, you know, kind of, you know, it kind of stays with you. Now, by the time you make the majors, the Dodgers have moved from Brooklyn to Los Angeles. Were you disappointed that you never got to play in Ebbets Field, being a Brooklyn native? I mean that's that's you know reason I was outside with him, and uh, and you know a lot of things I, I grew up playing ball. I played with a team called the Brooklyn Bisons, and and uh, we were the 1955 state champions of the Quads League, senior state senior state champions. So I mean I love Brooklyn, and anything with the Brooklyn in front of my my name was it was great, and and so naturally I would I love to play in Brooklyn. I think. But I think it was better for me to go away, away from Brooklyn, because I probably would have gotten in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> now, as a kid, did you attend a lot of games at Ebbets Field? No, because we didn't have to. Uh, I went there uh, sometimes when they, you know, they had the special days for the kids and in, in the bleachers. In but most of the games in, in, in the fifties, uh, most of the home games were on television. Did you know that? Yeah, that, that's when you know the Dodgers were, were king in Brooklyn for sure, and that's uh, yeah. Russ Probably Hodges. Nobody else had no other teams. The Giants and the Yankees didn't have the same situation, so we can see we see games on TV all the time, and you know you know all the ball players. So to me, 
it, it was great to go to a game, but as long as I can see a home game every, every time they played, I'm, you know, it was I'm in school I, and I don't have to go there and come back home and, and you know do my homework or whatever I have to do. But television was a big uh, a big asset, really. Now, you make your debut as a hitter on September 22, 1959. Um, you pinch hit for Clem Labine against the Cardinals. The pitcher on the mound was Marshall Bridges. Do you remember you know, Walter Olson? Yeah, you, I struck out. No, but, yeah, <laughs> I, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't even gonna ask what you did. I was just gonna ask. Do you remember like the moment that Walter Austin turned to you and said, "Grab a bat, kid. You're going up." Well, it, yeah. I mean, it's 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 not overwhelming. You know, you're prepared. You know, I want to get up. I want to swing the bat. I want to play. You know, so I was. You know, actually, when he told me to get the bat, I got that bat in a hurry. <laughs> you know, and then it was ready and ready to go. You know. But uh, but my brother didn't have to throw so many curveballs to me. You know, I <laughs> talked to him a little bit before the game or something. <laughs> now, you have a good rookie year. You end up fifth in the Rookie of the Year voting in 1960. Your teammate, Frank Howard, actually wins the award. Did you get the sense then that with the veteran presence on that team, then adding two young stars like yourself and Frank, that you guys were close to being a championship team? Well, you know, they, they, in those days, you only had eight teams, so right. it was tough to, to, to make a major league uh, team. It's just being on the rest is tough enough, but being there and watching these guys, yeah, yeah, they, they were always ready to, uh, to win a pennant. They, these guys were like a family, and I grew up with them, so I knew a lot of them. I was, I was just happy to be on the team. Pete Reeser was my manager in the Midwest League, you know, became was one of the coaches, and he was a great ball player in the 40s. Uh, you know, he kind of he kind of rid me. He was like my father, so you know, he kind of calmed me down when I needed to be calm. He knew he knew my personality. He knew what to do at at all times. Now, you have a breakthrough year in 1962. Your 346 batting average edges out Frank Robinson, who had a 342 batting average, unbelievable for the National League batting crown. He had a career best with 27 home runs, 120 runs. See, I didn't mention the strikeout. I mentioned all this stuff. All right, Tommy. So you gotta give me some credit here. Nine triples. Dodgers finished a regular uh, season schedule, tied for first place with the Giants, but lost a three-game playoff. You finished that year incredibly with those numbers, third in the MVP balloting, with teammate Maury Wills winning the award and Willie Mays finishing second. Now, obviously, a strong argument could be made that you really should have won the MVP that year. Wills did have that 104 stolen base season. You were his teammate. You saw him every day, day in and day out. His numbers didn't compare to you, and they didn't even compare to Willie Mays' numbers that year. What made him so valuable to your team that year? Well, we, uh, he was that most really valuable in reference to the fact that he, when he gets on and he can steal second, and another guy who I thought should be the most valuable player at some time or another was Jim Gillen because he did everything he could as a second hitter. He was the best I've ever seen. He sacrifices where he liked to stand. Uh, what he did was he, he stood way back in the box, so the catcher had to go back a little further. So the throw to second was longer. But, but, you know, but the fact that we get one or two runs early makes our pitcher a little bit more comfortable and the breaking pitches break better and slide and slide better. And we were always getting one or two runs, you know, and early and, and without pitching, we were always in the game. So, yeah, he was invaluable. He was definitely valuable to us. And, and, and we did have a speed team besides Frank hitting a long ball, but we had a lot of speed and we took advantage of it. 
63, you win your second batting title in a row. You, and this is what's incredible. I mean, one year you edge out Frank Robinson. The next year you edge out Roberto Clemente, two iconic names in the game. This time by six points. You finished eighth in the MVP balloting. In the 1963 World Series, the Dodgers swept the Yankees. You were in the cleanup spot. You hit 400 in that series, tripling twice in Game 2, driving in the only run of a one nothing game in Game 3. Your first inning single of Jim Bounton, driving in Jim Gilliam. What do you remember most about that World Series and that championship? Well, Sandy Koufax, <laughs> uh, Don Drysdale, Johnny Padre, Ron Karadoski. <laughs> Not a bad staff, huh? <laughs> and then, you know, like I said, we played our defense and we did what we had to do. And, and the fact that uh, we beat the Yankees four in a row was, was, was something um, unimaginable. And 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 that was and did it in New York City in front, in front of my family and friends. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Uh, talking about you know playing in front of your family and friends after the 1966 World Series, you traded to the New York Mets. It would start a 10-year period where you play for 10 different teams. Did you enjoy your time in New York playing in front of the hometown fans? And is there added pressure? I know it was only that one season, but is there added pressure when you play in front of your hometown crowd? I. I had a, the one year that I did play in New York, it was with the Mets, and uh, I enjoyed it. I had a ball. But don't forget, I, had, I, was, uh, I was a pro at the time. I'd been around. I had a lot of experience. I knew how to engage myself. But I really enjoyed it, and I thought I was going to be there a while. But uh, I guess I, I didn't. But uh, I contributed to the 69 World Series because they traded me for Tommy Agee. <laughs> you know, an indication of how much you know you, you, you were valued by the team, your status on the team, I just took some numbers that you actually were the highest-paid player on the team. You earned $52,000 that year, and a, a, pitcher, a young pitcher named Tom Seaver earned $10,000. So that's... Uh, well, let me tell you about that, that, that Mets season. I, that was one of the best seasons I ever had. I, I'll tell you why. Because, you know, I know about the two... Two years I let the league in hitting, but I had a broken ankle in '65, right. and and, right. and 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 that still it still bothered me when I got there in '67. And I asked Wes Westrom uh, to uh, you know let me play as much as possible. You know he was the manager, and he allowed me to play by the bit, and I got up over 500 times. I I think I hit 302, mm-hmm. and uh, you know with a club that still you know was growing up, and they were last place. But I, I to me. That allowed me to play until 1976. But if you don't tell anybody, I'll tell you a, a nice little, little situation here. We're playing, the Mets are playing the Dodgers the last three games of the season. And uh, I'm hitting, like, like I said, 300, 301, 302, whatever. And the next to the last game, Drysdale is pitching. I'm 0 for 2, and the count is 0 and 2. At that time, at that, so I get out of the box and I said, uh, "Johnny Roseboro, the catcher, the Dodger catcher." I said, "Johnny," he said, "What is it?" Um, you know, I'm hitting around 300 now, 299, and uh, I'm over two, and the count is 0 2. Johnny looked at me and said, "Oh, I didn't know. What do you want?" <laughs> <laughs> oh. What do you want? I said, "Give me something I can handle." You know. And that drives not only an own two pitch with the throw right underneath your chin, usually, but he threw one I could handle. I hit a double, and uh, got to second base. He said, "Time out, get me out of here." <laughs> and you know, next to the last game, we're in the last place anyhow. So, 
I know getting three o two. September thirtieth. September thirtieth. September thirtieth in a, a five nothing Met win. Right, one for three, ending the season at three o two. Unbelievable. Great stuff. Tell me about how that happened. <laughs> you see, but you know what? They can only help Johnny Roseboro's you know stature after you know the the whole uh, the 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 big to do with him. But uh, you look at your numbers though. Here, here's what's amazing. Your numbers were, fa- you know, consistent right through your your whole career. Yeah, little dips, but you, you know, like they say, you know, Tommy Davis is going to give you a season like what's on the back of his baseball card. You're so consistent. Why do you think you were traded so many times or released so many times in your career? I could not give you an answer to that. Um, in fact, maybe because I had that broken ankle, and they. I don't know. A lot of a lot of the teams just needed a pinch hit or somebody they can fill in. But I have most of the time I end up playing. Uh, I can't tell you why. Uh, I did have some problems with Oakland with the, with the owner, but uh, <laughs> who didn't? A lot of people did. Yeah, who, who didn't? <laughs> and uh, and I think he kind of hurt my uh, my status and my uh, retirement thing too. But that, but I'm not going to get into that. But uh, I just. What, what can I say? In those days, they can do anything you want. You know, as you well know, Kurt didn't like it. Kurt Flood, yeah. and he stood up for what he thought, and things happened differently. Maybe I should have done the same thing. Now, you look at your career as well, and 13 years into your career, you have a rebirth as a DH with the Orioles. 1973 through 75, finishing third in the 1973 batting race with the 306 mark, placing 10th in the MVP voting. In 74, you're second in the American League with 181 hits. In 74, you win the Outstanding Designated Hitter Award, now known as the Edgar Martinez Award. You played in two American League Championship Series, both times in 73 and 74. The Orioles lost to, unfortunately, the Oakland A's. What made you such a successful DH? And also, as we mentioned in the open, you're one of the greatest pinch hitters in the game. And the approach is different as an everyday fielder as opposed to a pinch hitter in DH. What allowed you to to be able to stay focused to be a pinch hitter as well as a DH? Well, it's it's the fact that I wasn't a long ball hitter. I was a line drive hitter. But uh, and and it's it's where I thought about about you know, hitting any pitcher or basically looking to go, to go up the middle. And uh, I can wait for the ball longer since I'm not swinging for the fences. And and, uh, and and I had my own ideas of hitting, and evidently it works. So I try to get a lot of hits. I, if, I, if I get a lot of hits, I can I have a job. That's basically what it is. I try to get a lot of hits. I hit the ball a lot to right field because the pitchers will pitch away. And uh, they, 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 can, they can get me out jamming me, but they, they, some guys couldn't throw that well inside. And so, you know, I took advantage of that, too. And then you take, you do homework on certain pitches because you're going to see them again. They, you're going to know how they got you out and what they threw, what they get you out. So, I, yeah, I did my homework on that in that regard. Well, you talk about doing so your... I basically like to make contact, yeah. get a lot of hits and less strikeouts. I, I try. I don't know how many strikeouts I get, but I like I like to, to get it down to 10% of the amount of times I've been up. If I can strike out 10% and make contact 90% of the time, I've got to be dangerous. So not playing the field, there's a lot of downtime. Did you really, as you admitted, read books or shave between at-bats? <laughs> I did all kind of stuff, man. I mean, at one time I was, I was, uh, I was, uh, when, I was in the trainer's room talking to my first wife and, and, uh, and on the phone. And the trainer came in, Ralph Salvar, came in and tapped me on the shoulder. I said, what is it? What is it, Ralph? He said, uh, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Now, so you're up. Oh, I had to go to the training room, to the, you know, to the, down the, the locker room, to downstairs, to the and to the hallway there, and then go up to the field. The people are starting to clap now. And 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 I go past Earl Weaver. He's in down in the dungeon looking at me. He doesn't say nothing. And I get up there late, and the man on second, I and I hit a little single, knocking the guy in. The next guy makes out. I go to the dungeon, to the dugout, back up to the dungeon there, and to the clubhouse, into the trains room, and the phone was still open. My wife was still on the phone. <laughs> that is awesome. Now, whenever AJ and I have a player who's played for multiple managers, we always love to ask him this question. If you could take the best parts from each of your managers and combine them into one, which traits from which managers would you take to make a super manager? Now, now just for those listeners out there that might not know some of the managers that Tommy's played for, they've included Walter Austin, Eddie Stanky, Leo DeRocher, Earl Weaver, Dick Williams, and Whitey Herzog. So, you know, what parts of your guys to make the, the one super manager, you know, what would it be? When did I play with Whitey Herzog? What's that? When did that play with Whitey? Whitey Grand took Whitey. over as an interim, maybe like six or seven games. I, I'm trying to think with, not, with California, not, not very memorable, with obviously. the Kansas City Royals in '76. Yeah, I think you had eight games there. I think he may have managed one of those games. Okay, I uh, you might be might be right, might be right. Okay, well, anyway, I, I it's tough. To, this that's a tough question because. Eddie Stanky was a tough person to play for. Eddie Stanky, you can probably could hate at one point or another, but you know what? He was a type of manager had you doing something with every time the ball was hit, you have to do something, and he had me doing it, backing up this, going over there. Yeah, I mean, he, he did some things that you just don't do with well, the managers. He was outstanding in that regard. Earl Weaver would fight for you. He'd argue with every, anybody and everybody. Uh, Arthur, Arthur was quiet, but he didn't have to do it. He carried a big stick, you know, but he had a lot of veteran ball players. Uh, uh, who else? Uh, I had with the Angels, I had Sherry and Dick Williams. I had Dick Williams twice. Right. Uh, with Oakland, too. And Dick Williams, uh, he knew the game. You know, he knew, in fact, he knew the Dodger way because he played with the Dodgers. So I can't put him on, you know, I can't. Who else was it? Uh, Leo DeRosha? Leo Rochelle, uh, he, he was outstanding in his way. I mean, I mean, he was dapper Dan, and and he, and he, he just knew how to win. Another I guy also had Bobby Reagan in Triple A, right? Outstanding too. Now the Rochelle, so, another I mean, guy. I can't put them all together, but I do remember most of. Them. And Pete Reeser, my my first manager, my first full season. You know, all these guys contributed. My, Pete Reeser was like a father to me, so he was really close. Nice. So I, I can't put. Just come up with a with a with a with a, a model from each one of them, but I do remember a lot of the things they did for me. Nice. Now, lastly, as your career spans such a long period of time with great teammates and, and opposition players, um, and we could do a whole show with you just on that, uh, we'd like to close with a quick game of word association. We'll name a player, and you tell us the first thing that comes to your mind. All right? I'll try. All right, Jackie Robinson. Oh, number one. And he broke the color line, and if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be where I am today. Sandy Koufax. Best pitcher I ever played with. Don Drysdale. Second best pitcher I ever played with. Tom Seaver. Oh, outstanding. I, uh, the best low fastball I've ever seen. Jim Bouton. 
Jim could pitch. Jim was good pitch, and he was my teammate when he wrote that book. And uh, he gave me a lot of compliments. And then actually yep. everybody got on my butt because he gave me compliments in that book. <laughs> I remember that. I'm actually wearing a Seattle Pilots jersey in honor of you, your pilot tenure in 69. Uh, Reggie Jackson. Reggie was, he's a very, people think he's arrogant, and he could be, and, and you know, but you know, he's, he's got a heart of gold, and he helps a lot of people people don't know about. Ron Santo. Oh, he's a gamer. He puts his nose right in the grindstone, and he, he plays hard as anything, there's anything to win. Brooks Robinson. Best third baseman I've ever seen. Nolan Ryan had, the, had was the greatest in the American League, and uh, he learned it in National League. But he he he, he had the, his curveball complemented his fastball. If you if he threw his curveball over, you were not going to hit his fastball. Lastly, Tommy Davis. I'm a survivor. That's all I can say. Great stuff, Tommy. We appreciate it. Now, for those fans that are listening to us on the Internet, uh, there is an awesome fantasy camp that you're part of, correct? It's part of the Dodgers, uh, the San Diego Padres, and California Angels. And it, Can you tell our, viewers, our listeners a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a group that used to associate when the Dodgers had their fantasy camp. Most of these guys were, were at those camps for years, they, not just for one or two, several years. And, and had some great friendships, friendships from that. Well, since the Dodgers moved and, and, and had to have a different uh, spring training, uh, the same group decided to do their, their own thing. And they're going to do it in Tucson in January. And uh, we would love for some of the guys to come on out there and join us. And uh, I, I'm quite sure you, you have some information on that. Yes, and we're going to post it on our website. And, you know, if it wasn't for my commitment to go down to Met Fantasy Camp this year, I'd be there. But I'm definitely going to come down next year because it's, it's an incredible lineup. You know, as much as, you know, I love the Mets, you take a look at, at the players that are going to be at, at this fantasy camp and just amazing. Oh, there's going to be some great ones. Great you know ones. I mean? uh, you, a lot of Dodgers, a lot of Angels, a lot of fun. Every, every night, a lot of fun. Excellent. I look forward to probably seeing you next year, Tommy, and we'll have you on again. It's a pleasure speaking uh, about a wonderful career that, you know, it's unfortunate that a lot of kids in their 20s don't know what a professional hitter Tommy Davis was. So really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to be with us tonight. Is this going to Brooklyn, too? It's going oh, yeah. to Brooklyn, absolutely. That's all I want to know. All right. Okay. Tommy Davis giving a shout-out to Brooklyn.